Alright, hi everyone. Before we get started real quick, um, make sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at movieishpodcast and also check out the website movieishpodcast.card.co. From there, there are links to directly stream on like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and a few more. I think I'm adding a few more as they come in. And the website also has the latest episode here on YouTube. Um, which should be updated every now and then when I post a new episode. So I'm sorry that things have been taking so long. I haven't been posting a lot. Um, It's been two weeks since the last episode. I've just been caught up with a lot of assignments and I was recently on break last week so I kind of indulged in that a little bit too much. But this week um, I'm going to take you through a film that kept me up in quarantine using my questionable yet sincere analysis This week, we take a look at 2019's The Lighthouse, directed by Robert Eggers and starring Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. I don't know why I decided to watch this movie, actually. I think I watched it on a school night. So, like, I was a senior last year, so nothing really mattered to me. I would just go to sleep whenever. I wouldn't really do homework. I would just do- I would do homework for like an hour or two, and then I would just sit around and watch something. So I watched this movie during a weekend, I believe, and then when I came back on Monday, (laughs) um, I had finished watching the movie and I was still scarred by it, but there was no real reason that I decided to watch it. I think I saw the trailer at some point and I thought it was like a horror movie that I could actually stomach and watch, (laughs) um, and it seemed kind of interesting. It was in black and white, which automatically caught my attention and I I wondered what they were going to do. But there was such there was such like mystery and intrigue surrounding the trailer, and it was called the lighthouse. I was like, how could they possibly make a compelling story about a lighthouse? But it's it's much more than uh than that apparently. <laughs> um, so first of all, we have to talk about what the movie is about. It's about a young man named Ephraim who goes to work as a lighthouse keeper or an apprentice lighthouse keeper for. Thomas Wake, who is a senior lighthouse keeper. Um, Basically, as they're stranded together on this rock in the middle of the ocean, so like most lighthouses that I've seen, at least in pictures and stuff, they kind of extend, or they don't extend, they're on like a cape or some kind of protruding rock land (laughs) um, that's like attached to the main land. So you can still like go back and forth you're not completely isolated, but this lighthouse is in the middle of nowhere. It's so freaky. But again, okay, they're stranded together, and basically the terrors of like being isolated with each other, they creep up and drive them to madness. And there's a lot of, uh, I wrote here in my script, um, scary psychological hijinks ensue, because that is what happens. Honestly, I can't give you much of a summary because that really is what the movie is about. If I get into any more specifics, I'm going to go into spoiler territory, which is kind of unfortunate. Um, So because of that, I'm going to kind of jump straight into the themes. I know that I said at the very beginning of this podcast that like, I'm not trying to read prior analysis in order to have like a completely transparent or not transparent, a completely unbiased view of what's going on. But unfortunately, after I watched the movie, I was just so confused about what everything meant, like metaphorically, that I did look up 
an analysis, and I did learn from that, um, that the movie is based on a, or it's loosely based on a Greek myth, the Greek myth of Prometheus, which you may or may not have heard of. Um, I swear that's like the only thing I got from the article. I just remember the myth part. I'm trying right now to be very true to my, like, my principle of doing my own analysis. So, first of all, what is the myth of Prometheus? Um, the myth of Prometheus is, this is a TLDR, <laughs> I'm probably going to describe it in layman's terms as I go on here. Um, Prometheus was sort of like, I don't know if he was a demigod or whatever, but he was known for creating human beings from clay, right? And in order to provide them with something else, he wanted to steal fire from the gods of Olympus. So, I think he was successful in providing us with fire, but when the gods found out, they chained him to a rock so that the birds could, um, could eat his insides. Yeah, um, I think that's what the myth is about. And obviously, if we're thinking about the lighthouse itself, we can think about fire right now as the light in the lighthouse. So that's what that represents, briefly. And with Prometheus, he's known to be sort of a trickster, right? He's known to be sort of deceptive. And in that case, I interpreted that to be Ephraim. Because Ephraim craves power and autonomy, as well as freedom. He's trapped in this situation where he's contracted to work, and he somehow has to keep a level head. And I'm going to get why, I'm going to get to why um, keeping a level head is difficult, and how it's eventually thwarted by another sort of human instinct. Contrastingly, right, the gods are seen to be Thomas, the other lighthouse keeper that he's working with. So this movie got me thinking a lot about quarantine, especially because I'm pretty sure I watched it either the week or two weeks before we went into quarantine. I watched it quite recent. Well, it's not recent anymore. It seems recent, but I watched it not too long ago. And I started thinking to myself, what are the consequences of being alone, right? In the context of this myth, you know, what are, what are the consequences of being alone? And when you are alone, you feel like you're right. I don't know if that makes sense. At least in my case, right? I've been reading a lot of news by myself. I've been talking to my friends like through digital means, not necessarily in person. So I've been formulating my own opinions about certain things, not necessarily regarding the news, but just in general. And when these two men are stranded alone together, they have to bear with their own thoughts. And since they have no one to talk to, they think that their motivations are right and that those motivations are just, even though they might not be. Like if you, uh, this is probably impossible, the island was so dang small. <laughs> if you had like 20 other people on this island, it's like lost or something <laughs> or what's that show survivor um, it's like yeah it's like one of those survivor shows with those types of shows right you have a bunch of people dynamically forming groups forming alliances getting into cliques and then you have groups of people who believe what they believe because they're surrounded by other people who have like well, i guess like like-minded characters and stuff like that so you have a, a clearer conscience because you have other people to back you up regarding what you're saying and what you believe is right. But in the lighthouse, it's basically just this really weird, terrifying power play between these two guys. Thomas Wake has been on the lighthouse with another attendant in the past, 
but he's essentially the senior member. He's the one who is supposed to guide everyone else and thinks that his authoritarian methods are the right way of going about it. Um, and I think this is best exemplified sort of by um, something I read in Boethius's The Consolation. So I've been reading it recently for class. Again, as I mentioned before, I'm going to be talking about my readings for class in the context of movies so many times because it just fits so well. Um, basically, Boethius, so far from what I've read, has been imprisoned basically for defending philosophy. And what's interesting about this book is that he personifies philosophy as to be a woman, uh, Lady Philosophy. And Lady Philosophy tells him that, you know, you're in prison, you hate that you're in prison, you think you're right, you think that fate should have been kind to you, you think that because you were born with all these resources, so Boethius was like a rich guy, had a good education and stuff, you know, you're born with all of these resources, that you think your imprisonment should be overturned, right? But really, it shouldn't be. You can't escape the highs and lows of life. You're going to have those things. And it's, it's theorized, or well, it's not theorized. I mean, essentially, because Boethius is personifying this woman as someone who's talking to him, he's basically talking with himself. And he's correcting himself. But at the same time, there's still a presence of another person who has an ulterior, or not ulterior, but a contrasting motive. Ephraim, in his isolation, is there to work, really. He's just there to earn a living. But at the same time, he's hiding a dark secret. And is kind of trying, like, in his own way to, um, I guess, like, personify his own beliefs. Later on, he kind of warms up to Thomas. They sort of have, like, a really weird bond, I guess. I don't even know what to say. But they still have a clash because none of them concede to the other person. I don't know if that makes sense. I, I do hope that that kind of explains a little bit. And it creates a lot of tension. And throughout the movie, we see Thomas sort of um, back to the Promethean myth, which I hope... I've kind of connected to this. Um, with with the lighthouse light, it's sort of like something that Thomas protects. It's his flame. It's something that if taken away with him, he has nothing. Because literally, they're on an island with one lighthouse and like one shed. Like what else is there? What else is there to uh, to have? And it gives him an insane illusion of power. So that kind of leads me to the next theme. Now, the next theme is something, like, I literally don't know about. Um, it has to do with alcohol. They drink a lot in this movie, and I think at some point they drink something that's not, like, supposed to be consumed, but they do anyway. It's so weird. I mean, I guess it's, it's all they have, I guess. Like, they just have, like, stale food from the ration box and whatever. I don't know. Okay, anyway... They drink a ton in this movie, and when they do drink, they, I mean, when you get drunk, right, or not that I would know, I guess, um, but when people drink, they do so in order to forget something, or in order to feel like this state of, I guess, euphoria that you wouldn't really have otherwise if you were just sitting around. If, okay, so in that sense, you have 
I'm going to just sort of make a really like weird dichotomy here that you're either drunk or you're not drunk. It's not the only dichotomy you can make, right? I mean, you're awake or not awake, you're sleepy or not sleepy, whatever, right? But for this, I'm just going to use drunk and not drunk. How they're dealing with the situation on the island. While... I'm gonna look at a frame, I guess, because he's sort of the main character in this. Um, while he's on the island, at first he has a very level head. He's like, okay, I'm gonna get these tasks done, I'm going to do this work, even though it's hard, and even though Thomas kind of sucks, I'm gonna do the work because that's what I'm contractually obligated to do. But later on, as he begins to drink, they he develops this sort of insanity that puts him into this world that doesn't exist. What does this world look like? I don't know. We don't ever get to see it. We only ever see Thomas and Ephraim drinking together. And this world that doesn't exist does also apply to Thomas. But again, we don't really know what that looks like either. And Thomas has... He doesn't have a minor role, but he's not shown, I guess, as much to be the quote-unquote like, protagonist of the movie uh, compared to Ephraim. And in that sense, when isolation creeps up on them, right? Again, I'm going to use a, this dichotomy. Drunk or not drunk. You can either be drunk on the island and forget about everything or be sober and have to face the responsibilities you have every single day and from this stems another dichotomy on the island if you're going to survive um, in the lighthouse this chilling isolation you're either going to be sane or insane right and being insane gives you this illusion of power that you can do anything and it gives you a goal right or at least a goal that you would actually want because um, working at the lighthouse, you have tasks to do, you have things to clean, you have things to maintain. Those are very mundane goals that they'll get you through day by day. But there's no overarching goal that you feel motivated to work towards. For example, like if you're in school, right, the little goals that you have, the, the tasks that you have to complete are, you know, getting decent grades or maybe you have an extracurricular that you're a part of or whatever, right? But the overarching goal is for you to go to college, or to get a job, or to go to trade school, or whatever. But it's something you look towards. And right now, for me, having being someone who just graduated from high school, I'm completing all my small tasks, my assignments, um, my readings, whatever. But I don't know what my overarching goal is yet. I don't know what job I want to pursue. I know I'm going to graduate. I mean, I'm on track to graduate <laughs> after one semester, but I don't know what I really want. And it's it's much easier for me, right, to drop out, right? It's much easier for me to live with my parents until I die. But, you know, like I'm taking the path that provides less pleasure or less like excitement. So in this sense, they have to distract themselves but in the process of distracting themselves, they basically, they get mad at each other, they get mad at the world, there's some scary stuff that happens, and everything kind of falls to, falls to shit, I guess. <laughs> um, but those are, I guess, the themes that I sort of deciphered. There isn't much, I feel like this episode will be fairly short, because the movie itself is not extremely long, but it's not really short either it's in this place where everything moves kind of slowly and it's a slow burn it doesn't hit you until like the very end 
Um, so before we go into the scene breakdown really quick, I want to cite or address another argument that Boethius makes in the Consolation. Um, as I mentioned before, you can't escape fate. Fate is always going to be there. No matter what you do, no matter what you like, try um, in order to alter your future in some way, whatever comes at you will come at you. So Boethius personifies fortune as a woman as well. So she is a trickster. She preys equally on those who are successful and those who are not successful. And he talks about this sort of metaphor of a wheel, right? And fortune is spinning the wheel all the time. You're at the top of the wheel. You're feeling great, you know? You're feeling awesome. But as you move down the wheel, you're going to hit low points in your life. And that's a given. The wheel may turn at different speeds, right? The wheel might be big or it might be small. But you're always going to have these moments that are super high and super low. And you know, the ones that are in between, just kind of there. You're always going to have those. And the more that you challenge fortune, the more that you're in denial of it, obviously. And if you believe in fortune, challenging it is stupid. Because what else are you going to do? If you're going to die, you're going to die. If you're going to, you know, I don't know, face imprisonment, have to talk to a personified version of philosophy. That's fortune. That's what your fate is. Um, and it kind of leads into the first scene that I'm going to be talking about. So from here until 2735, there are spoilers. I forgot to include this in my original recording, but I'm just going to issue like a quick trigger warning right now. Um, if you're watching YouTube, some of the scenes are a little bit graphic and a little bit violent at this point. Um, so please watch out for that. Please be wary of that. Um, you can definitely just turn your phone over if you need to or skip this part. Um, also, in later parts of the scene breakdown, I will be describing the deaths of two characters. And it's a little bit gruesome. I've simplified it a lot, but it's a little bit gruesome. So just make sure to watch out for that. And yeah, that's my trigger warning real quick for you guys. The first 30 minutes, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm chilling. This is good. I'm vibing. Um, this movie's really good so far. It's so interesting. When is the horror going to kick in? And um, after like 30 minutes, it, it freaks you out. Um, at the beginning of the movie, it's established that there is this metaphor of a seagull, that seagulls kind of represent dead sailors then they're reincarnated as seagulls and if frame is like doing this task where he has to get water from somewhere and there's a dead seagull in the water i think before this he had seen another seagull it has like one eye and it was saying you know don't oh it wasn't saying anything okay the one-eyed seagull he sees it above the water um like where the dead seagull is and Thomas had told him previously, like, don't go killing the seagulls, it's bad luck. It's gonna create problems for you. Does he represent fortune in this case? Or is my comparison um, to the gods as Thomas actually very realistic? I don't know, we'll see. Um, <laughs> it's up to you, it's up to your interpretation. But anyway, he like, <laughs> he brutally murders the seagull that's alive 
because he's annoyed at it. It's like squawking at him. It's being annoying. And this seagull trope and the seagull metaphor is very like common throughout the film. And every time one appears, it creates like a sense of foreshadowing and a sense of terror. Um, so yeah, he brutally murders the seagull. And I was just like, okay. We're, we're here now. We're, uh, we're at the meat of the story. We, we did it. Um, just kidding. We, I'm not, I wasn't excited about it. It was just so crazy because Ephraim throughout the whole movie was seen to be like this really rational guy. Like he was the straight, straight laced, like, I guess level headed thinker in all of this. And Thomas is basically portrayed to be an insane old man. Um, but it's so it's so wild because it just kind of shows like no matter i guess what disposition you decide to acquire for yourself right however you decide to present yourself um you're a slave to fortune like you're not completely immune to the elements around you even if you try to deny that something happened or that something is terrifying or that you feel a certain way about something it's not in your heart do you really feel that way crazy. I just didn't think it would turn that fast. It, it was like a total 180. Totally freaked me out. Towards the middle of, um, of the movie, there's a twist. Oh man. This movie, it's like a spiral. You know, you're just being, you're just being thrown around in all of these different directions and you don't know what to expect. But this is like, I guess maybe the first big turn of the spiral before it just gets a little crazy and goes everywhere. Um, Ephraim is also revealed to be a man named Thomas Howard. So his real name isn't Ephraim. Earlier I was calling him Ephraim to avoid spoilers. Um, but basically he was a- f I think he worked in like lumber before he went to the lighthouse. And he has this like dark secret. Basically, I think they were like cutting lumber or something and there was an accident in which his foreman, I guess, like his, maybe like, sort of like manager, right? Was in an, uh, like fell to his death or something. And he could have prevented it, but he purposely did not prevent it. It's never really revealed why, but Thomas like starts to freak out. He's like, oh, you spilled your beans. It's like a famous line. Uh, you spilled your beans or whatever. Um, so, in his insanity. I think they're both drunk when he admits this. So, as I mentioned, oh, I'm not going to say as I mentioned before. I'm going to use a synonym. Um, when I was talking about alcohol earlier, right, it's so, it's so crazy how many 180s Ephraim takes. Wait. Okay, sorry. <laughs> if he did a 180 when he killed the seagull, and if he did another 180, ah, he came full circle. So he's not really a good guy. You know what I mean? He, even though you've gone in this full circle, you know, he did a 180, then another 180 in this movie. Um, it shows that his bad side is a part of him. You know what I mean? Even if you try to avoid it, he tried to get a new job, I guess, as a lighthouse keeper. But he's still kind of, kind of terrifying. He's kind of bad. Um, so it's just a sick power play. It's such a sick power play. Because at first you think like Thomas Wake is insane and annoying, kinda, and like authoritarian, but then you realize both of them kinda suck. <laughs> I 
Both of them kind of suck. They're both equally terrifying. And oh my god, the way they die. Of course, of course they die, right? This is a horror movie. Um, I don't exactly remember all the details. But basically, they get, well, okay, again, they get drunk. And then, like, they're pretty much... They have, like, this conflict, basically, where um, Ephraim... I'm gonna... I know his name is Thomas, but I'm just gonna call him Ephraim so that we can just be a little more consistent. But Ephraim finds, um, I think, like, Thomas Wake's, like, diary. And it it's noted that Wake doesn't want to pay him. And they get into this huge argument, basically, and Ephraim, basically, he beats up Thomas berates him verbally i think he stabs him somewhere i don't even know treats him like a dog like a literal dog oh man you know <laughs> this is a movie it's a movie oh um and buries him alive outside of the lighthouse <laughs> it's a really sick power play but, twist number two, um, as if this movie wasn't a whole twist, twister, oh, just kidding, um, but Thomas wakes up, oh, funny, I used his last name as a pot, he wakes up with an axe in hand, I think, oh man, he has an axe, and he basically, like, stabs Ephraim with an axe. Ephraim falls down the lighthouse stairs, screams in agony, and then dies. And you know how I mentioned the myth of Prometheus? Well, um, his insides are eaten alive. Yeah, it's, it's a lot really there's there's a lot happening um and again just as Ephraim sort of came full circle like oh, he's always been a bad guy right men like human beings are deceptive right we're all evil <laughs> to some capacity um and it just it just depends on like the stress that we're under the things that we decide, the choices that we decide to make, if we decide, again, to be sane or insane, quote-unquote drunk or not, quote-unquote drunk, um, and the wheel just keeps turning. Wow. Circles, wheels, fortune, wheel of fortune. I think they actually, in Boethius's book, the term wheel of fortune is in there. It's so crazy. There's so many parallels. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Um, but yeah, there, that death scene, I don't really have much to say because I was just... It was so disturbing. Oh my god. Okay. Um, now I've reached the end of the spoilers. Um, geez. If, if y'all sat through that, I know that I didn't really talk much. I, I didn't go to... 
like such deep lengths as I have in the past, but I hope that it was like a satisfying um scene breakdown, I guess. Like this movie is actually pretty interesting in that there aren't like cookie cutter scenes, if that makes sense. Like the whole thing is kind of just blended together because the setting is so constant. It doesn't change super often. So it's sort of just like, it's like a really twisted big brother situation or it's like you're just watching their lives play out over time in one big chunk. It's really weird. Um, but aside from, aside from that, I also liked a few other things about this movie. Number one being the acting on my script. It just says the acting, holy shit, <laughs> because the acting was insane. Robert Pattinson, I've never seen him in any other movies. I've never seen Twilight. Um, yeah, I've never, I've never seen Twilight, his most like popular work to date, I guess. And I have so much respect for him as an actual actor. And I feel like Twilight was just an unfortunate sort of foray in his career. Um, I'm happy it made him famous because he definitely deserves to be recognized for it. And Willem Dafoe, wow. Oh my god. You know, I saw him in another movie, um, The Florida Project. And this dude's versatility is crazy. It's so crazy. I don't really know what else to say acting-wise. Again, I'm not an expert in that field, but they were both fantastic in this movie. And even though they were the only characters, I mean, there's one other person, quote-unquote, but um, it's, it's not really a character. It's just a, there's just a symbol, but yeah, it was crazy. And um, again, the small setting was a really, really great choice. I think like confining it to such a small place made it even scarier for me. I don't like being in cramped places, nor do I like being in crowded places. <laughs> um, I don't go outside a lot. I like the comfort of my own space. And the foreignness of that space, and also the way that it was used, was just so terrifying. It added another layer, or it added like a thin layer to like the pretext of all the horror. And, um, you know, there's that, there's mindless, it's a mindless trap, basically, <laughs> of being stuck in your own thoughts. That was played out really well. And the black and white actually made the tone of the movie quite ambiguous. And there were several, like, noises that were recurrent throughout the film. To sort of immerse you in that time, not time period, but in that, like, moment. Like, oh, this sound means that this is going to happen. Or this image means that this is going to happen. And it wasn't, like, repetitive or annoying. Um, honestly, there wasn't much that I didn't like. There was one scene that I... I didn't realize what was happening halfway through, but when I realized what was happening, I was like, oh, the symbolism, I, I guess, I don't know, it was weird. I didn't really like that. That wasn't for me. I'm not really sure what contribution it had to the story. Generally, I don't like scenes like that in in like to begin with so um if you've seen this movie you probably know <laughs> which one i'm talking about but that that was one thing and it was a bit slow throughout as i said um it's pretty much just one big chunk of like smaller things happening in the big chunk it's not really as broken down but that's just my impatience talking i guess um what do i rate it um i rate it a nine out of ten 
I don't really know why. I just kind of go based on vibe. Like, what kind of vibe did I get from the movie? And, um, yeah. That's, that's my analysis of The Lighthouse. So, after watching the movie, you know, I remember posting on my Instagram story. Like, I just posted a black screen. It was, like, to my close friend's story. And I was like, you know, do you ever watch something that makes you wish you didn't have eyes? Um, and this movie, it just scared me so much when I finished watching it, and I just didn't know what else to say, like, I was blown away. Um, Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe had such magnetism to them, and even though both characters had massive flaws, uh, I was interested in seeing how they sort of fell into this, like, pit of despair together. Like, I wouldn't say any of them are morally redeeming, but that was kind of the interesting part. Um, I couldn't look away from the absolute fallout that progressed from beginning to end. Honestly, would I recommend this movie to you? Like, I'm not sure. I feel like it's the sort of thing you have to seek out on your own. Um, I don't mean that to sound pretentious, I just feel like it's not really for everyone, but it could be if you if you want to like break it down and analyze it a little more. It's not really to my taste necessarily either, but it's within the genre of horror that I watch. Um, I tend to enjoy like psychological horror because it's like plausibly scary. Um, I mean, sure, like, you have gory body horror that can be appealing to some people in terms of what you want to see in a horror movie, but sometimes it just seems too, like, outlandish and it makes me, like, imagine things that are really scary but could never happen. Um, but what scares me the most is that, like, psychological horror is extremely reflective of the, the way we are today and the situations that we're in right now. I mean, I've been in quarantine for eight months. It's, it's much more comfortable and I get to socialize way more than uh, those two did on that rock in the middle of the ocean. But um, I could I could draw some parallels, some like really slight parallels between my life and the things I'm afraid of and the actual movie. So next week, um, I'm going to talk about music videos, which is, as per the theme of this video, um, a total 180. <laughs> um, I'm going to talk about music videos as a form of storytelling and narrative. I'm going to be looking at um, Korean hip-hop music videos because I'm just a huge fan of the genre and I saw a bunch in the past few months that, months that I actually really liked. Um, I'm going to be looking at Twist the Plot by DJ Wagon and Jay Park featuring Kim Simya, Used To by Woo Jae, and Neitat by Blue and Nafla. So remember to look out for new episodes every Friday at 6pm. Hopefully I won't delay them anymore. As much as I have right now, um, please follow the socials at movieishpodcast on Instagram and movieishpodcast.card.co. I removed the parentheses from my podcast name, so hopefully it becomes easier to search. M-O-V-I-E-I-S-H, all one word. And uh, yeah, thanks for watching, and I'll see you soon. Goodbye.